Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Please note this podcast is intended to provide information and education and is not intended to provide you with a diagnosis or treatment advice. You should consult with a licensed or registered healthcare professional about your individual condition and circumstance. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in. This is our third episode for Mental Health Awareness Month. My conversation today is with someone whose story I found myself sobbing to when featured on the CBS Sunday Morning Show a few years ago, after knowing absolutely nothing about her prior. I immediately sent her an email and was surprised how quickly I received a response that led to a lovely Zoom conversation. Melissa Bernstein is the co-founder of Melissa and Doug Toys, and most recently the founder of Lifelines, and she is the perfect example of someone you think is fine, but then find out after years of her hiding how much she had been struggling with her mental health. Welcome, Melissa. I'm so happy to have you here today. Harper, you know how much I love speaking with you. Oh, you're the best. So let's start off. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Wow. That's a deep one. So I think I'm old enough now that I've sort of transcended the labels um, and the roles. But um, who I am now uh, through a lot of work is I am a full spectrum of emotion from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. So on any given day, I'm not sure what you'll get, but um, I can give you all of those. Uh, Where I'm from. Wow. So... I'm from the most beautiful uh, areas of the world that have the most glorious sights of nature. And I'm not saying, I'm saying that sort of um, metaphorically because I like to think I'm sort of from um, nature and I love nature so much that I'm not really from any particular place at this point. I've moved around a whole bunch. Um, and I just, I'm from anywhere where you can connect to nature. And then what do I do? Uh, that's a great question. I think at this point in my life, um, I transform chaos into tangible form and try to use my creativity to impact and serve humanity in some way. You were young when you first experienced existential depression. How did you ultimately identify what you were experiencing? You know, it came through the most unlikely of ways because even though I experienced it, I had repressed it my entire life and had really disassociated from any of that darkness until I was in my 40s. I read the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And that was the first time in the end of the book, he uses the word, he, he talks about how he founded a school called Logotherapy after he got out of the camps, a form of existential analysis. And I had never heard the word existential in my entire life. And I love to write and I love words. And I looked up that word 
And that word changed my life because in reading that definition and learning about existential depression and existential angst, I realized that that is what I had been afflicted with my entire life. What did that feel like to like see those words and go, oh my God, this is me. I I have this. And how did you identify so much with that terminology? It honestly, it felt like the biggest revelation that I had ever had. I literally, as I started to put the the dots together and connect all the pieces of what it meant to be someone who experienced these higher realities and what it meant that I was really sensitive and that a lot of folks who suffered with existential despair also were highly creative. It was like I was unlocking the key to who I was for the very first time. Mm, I love that visual so much. So what was the first step that you took after reading that on the page? What did you do and how did you move forward with your life and having that, that knowledge? So I'm a breadcrumb follower, meaning I find a little breadcrumb of something that's usually an insight, right? And here it was. Melissa, you know, you have thought yourself to be such an outlier, someone who is completely different and will never fit in. And suddenly you have gotten like this shard of who you are bestowed on you. And it's saying, Melissa, you're not alone. Like you are afflicted with actually a condition that has a name that so many others have been afflicted with before you. And instead of being just sort of disdained by society, you actually belong to this really cool club of people who are creative and soulful and deep. And I would say I started following that breadcrumb through the forest, so to speak. And it led to so many other incredible epiphanies about myself and who I was. And I had this sense for the very first time that oh my goodness, I am no longer alone. So, so powerful. So for those who aren't familiar with this type of depression, how would you describe it? So, you know, it manifested itself really early on as what I call existential nihilism. And because um, I had this crisis of meaning early on, which is when, you know, we ask ourselves the questions, why am I here? What is the meaning of life if we are mortal and ultimately die? And what am I supposed to do during my brief time here on earth? And many folks, you know, COVID has led many folks to have a meaning crisis, right? Because all the kind of superficial patterns they existed within disappeared like in a second. And I think it led many people to to question their life and really wonder what they're doing. So there'll be many folks that go through a bout of, you know, meaninglessness in their lot in their life. But um, for me, it started literally from nothing, like the moment I was born. So I think for for someone, you know, who's who's had this, they're going to constantly feel this um, dread over them. And for me, it was like a dread that blanketed me my whole life because no one could answer those questions for me. And I started to believe that 
everything around me was meaningless and that I was powerless to make meaning in a meaningless existence. So that's the nihilism, which means nothingness. And if you really succumb to the nothingness, you know, it's a very dire state because if you believe that existence is meaningless and you as a, an individual have no ability to make meaning in a meaningless existence, you will kind of succumb. I mean, it's a, it's, it's darkness. So I think at my low, I was very nihilistic and I really felt disempowered to take responsibility for making meaning and powerless to change. And I would say I used the words like I'm a victim, you know, life isn't fair. The despair is just taking me over. I'm, I'm unable to, um, to emerge from such darkness. And it was a real sense of, of powerlessness. You say that all with past tense. So I'm curious if that was before this discovery of what you would then diagnose yourself with, or is that as a child? What stage of your life was that? It was basically my whole life. I mean, I repressed it and denied it and put on a very different facade, but that was what I truly felt. I felt that I had this darkness in me that had the capacity to submerge me so that I would never come up and that the only way I could deal with it was to repress it to such an extent that nobody could see the, the real me. So I did somewhat effectively repress it. I mean, it came out in, you know, horrible behaviors throughout my life um, and an eating disorder that almost killed me and lots of um, controlling behaviors to try to control the things I could control since I couldn't control you know, the, the meaning of existence and the meaning of my life. But uh, it almost, you know, it threatened to certainly take me down at many different times. What's so interesting about listening to you talk about this is I keep having visuals of your toys and really thinking about how you built this incredibly fun and playful brand, Melissa and Doug, and you've personally designed thousands of creative toys. And I'm wondering how you made meaning out of your own suffering uh, and was able to create this really playful, fun brand for children. It's an amazing question. And it, it has to be the biggest irony of my life, right? I mean, that someone so dark, so despairing could create these light, bright, playful toys. And that's why ultimately I did come out and, and had to share my story because I ultimately felt that I was living a lie and hiding behind these light, bright, playful toys when the person that created them, you know, created them out of a whole lot of darkness. Now, again, always growing and having these epiphanies, I now realize that we're all a full spectrum of light and dark. And although I believed I was only dark and how could I create these toys, right? When I'm such darkness, I now see that because I was so terrified of the darkness, it, it overtook me and it sort of became who I was. But once I went through my journey and had the courage to visit that darkness and sort of try to uh, allow and accept it, which was obviously terrifying, and then came out of it to realize that actually it's just one part of me. Um, and likewise, I am the other full extreme, which is the most beautiful, glorious light you could ever imagine. I started to see that 
uh, you know, I don't just create out of darkness, which I believed. I do create out of the full spectrum of emotion and every little bit of, of difference in that spectrum. It's funny because we've had several conversations and the minute we join a video conversation, I just see your big, smiley, bubbly personality. So it makes me think like, wow, how much people are living with this light and darkness inside them and some people being so forthcoming about it and some hiding it so, so well, which you clearly did for so long. And I remember when I first heard your story on the CBS Sunday morning show and immediately just feeling for you so deeply and trying to comprehend, wow, how did this woman build this brand and live with like such darkness inside? And we emailed back and forth and I've had conversations since. And I'm just so blown away by what you have built since. So what was it like coming out and sharing your story when you did? What led you to do that? It's an incredible question because it took me a really long time. And I think until we're truly ready to share our story, like we shouldn't share it. And if we feel shame and, uh, you know, that sense of terror over doing it, I would just say we're not ready. And I wasn't ready for a really long time. I wasn't ready, you know, and I wore a facade and gave this impression. And by the way, that facade was who I was. You know, I wasn't, I was so disassociated from it and I had created this facade to be okay. So that was my life. And it it wasn't phony, really. It was, it was part of who I am, right? Like I, I do have that aspect of me. I now see and my, my aspiration was to always be joyful and, and be the face that I portrayed. So it wasn't um, a total sham. It was just that I was disassociating from a whole big piece of me um, that contributed to who I was. So I think when I was finally ready to come out, it was because I couldn't hide the darkness part of me any longer. And it was literally, you know, when you block energy, and you try to repress it, like, I think you can do it pretty effectively in your teens and 20s and even 30s because you're strong and your walls are impenetrable. But as I started to enter my 40s, it was like my dam started cracking. And I felt like that, you know, that drumbeat of my soul saying like, Melissa, you're you're being untrue. You're living inauthentically. Like you're not actually sharing who you are. And, you know, the fact that I didn't share that, that, that aspect of who I was had really led me to not have a lot of authentic relationships in my life, which I was, which I was craving. And it, it led me to not have probably the most empathetic relationships I could with my own kids. So I, I knew that it was hurting me, that it was making it so I wasn't able to live fully or freely as you know, as a full person. Um, so I think by the time I came out, you know, uh, I got asked a lot, like, are you, you know, are you terrified because you have this persona and you're now coming out with all this, this dark stuff. And by the time I did it, I was like, I'm, I'm, there's no, there's no turning back and I have to do it. I have to be authentic in order to move forward. 
I really, really relate to this. And I think, you know, I wrote down the words facade and disassociated, which I feel were very similar to my story. And only because I had a medical condition where I had to have surgery and I was on medical leave, did I feel forced to start talking about what I was going through. But it was never like there was a time where I felt, okay, I've got to get this out. I've got to start telling people about this. But similar to you, once it came out, it just flew, it flew, flew out of me so freely. And it just felt so natural to start talking about it that when people have asked me, what's it like to share? It just feels like, oh, it's just this new stage of my life that I'm going to be more forthcoming. But what's interesting is I never felt I, I did live with a lot of joy and I was such a playful kid and teenager and 20 something. And I was I was hiding, but not intentionally trying to lie. Like lying was never a word that I had in my mind of what I was living with. So I'm really curious to hear about these inauthentic relationships and how it's changed since you started coming out and sharing your story and what friendships have looked like in recent years. Sure. And you know, it's funny, I've used the words living a lie, but the truth was I didn't know it was a lie either. And I think our bodies have a lot of really interesting coping mechanisms, right? And I think when I experienced that darkness early on, and I shared a little bit of it with the world, and I got this message really early on, like, you're a child. Why are you talking about such deep, dark things? Like, go out and play like other children. And I got this, you know, very quick sense that like it's not normal to feel dark emotions like we're and I got the sense that we're supposed to be happy all the time and never show how we feel that became I'm talking age two you know that became like do not show the darkness like live in the light and and that became my battle cry and it almost became the chip on my shoulder like no matter how I feel I'm gonna put on this shiny face that everything's okay so it I guess you could say it was a lie in the, you know, if you looked at the definition, but I wasn't, it, it was unconscious, right? It was like a mode of survival. And I wouldn't, it didn't come up. I wasn't thinking like, um, I wrote about it. My verses talked about it a lot, like that duality between dark and light. So it was coming out sort of unconsciously in these verses, but I wasn't aware of it. I thought it was who I was and I wish, I mean, I wish I was aware of it because basically I tried my whole life to be someone I wasn't and to fit in with people who weren't like me and to be this certain type of person that was gregarious and affable and popular. When the truth is like, I love to talk about philosophy and deep issues, but I never, you know, I never connected to those people because they weren't like the the person I aspired to be who was free of all that darkness. I didn't want to be a heavy, deep, introverted creative. I wanted to be this light, airy, bubbly, popular person. Um, and it was so hard for me because that wasn't who I was, right? So relatable. So, so, so relatable. So again, where do friendships lie for you these days now that you are living your truth and being more honest about what's going on for you internally? Yeah, so I now see 
that because I was a shell of a person, right? I was not able to talk about anything deep and, 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 you know, had no connection with my soul, right? I was living in the body and the psyche. I was living in my thoughts, my emotions, and my body. I wasn't living in my soul. My relationships were very soulless, and they were very superficial. They mostly involved people um, coming to me with their problems and me effectively being a shoulder to lean on and, and talk to them. And because of that, nothing ever touched anything deeper. They were really superficial. And I always lamented the fact that people would tell me about these childhood friends and even college friends. And I literally was a, a middle-aged adult and could honestly say that I had friends with quotes, right? They're my friends or friendlies, whatever you want to call that. Um, but I had no one that I really spoke to and knew the real me. And I realized now, at, you know, that it was because I didn't know myself. I didn't even know who I was. I couldn't engage in real empathetic relationships. So, you know, I went on this deep journey. It was five years of traditional sort of psychotherapy and existential psychotherapy concurrently, and really a lot of philosophy and spirituality, and finally got in touch with who I was and began for the first time. It's still an ongoing journey. I'm sure you'll you'll concur to offer myself empathy and compassion because we can't have true empathetic, compassionate relationships with others until we can have them with ourselves. So um, once I began to feel that self-love, I could basically um, begin to have relationships that allowed me to do that. And now I see the difference so dramatically. You know, a friend without quotes is someone who you can speak to about anything. You can cry to, you can laugh to, they are willing to share your successes. That's the other thing. I ended up with a lot of quote friends who were like envious and I would be envious of them. It was like a, it was like it evoked jealousy rather than love. Uh, you know, they were, they were just inauthentic in every sense. So now just in maybe the last, maybe I'll say 10 years, I've been able to develop um, real friendships. And I now see they are entirely different than the, the definition I had up until then. And now, you know, I have this, this, like, this passionate group of rock star friends who um, touch my soul. And hopefully I likewise theirs um, in such a profound way that we almost think, you know, we must have known each other in a, you know, in a prior life. It's that deep. Oh, I'm so glad that you were able to create that for yourself and remove those quotations from the friends because you deserve them. And everyone needs friends and community in no in life in general, like no matter what you're going through. So I'm glad you found your people. You mentioned verses, and I'd love you to share a bit more about the verses that you write and what role they've played in your mental health journey. Oh, well, they are my lifelines. And that was the name of my book because these lines of verse truly saved me. And they really um, came out very organically from the time I was a little 
girl, I saw things in my head. Um, I saw notes first, um, which would become musical compositions. I saw words that would become these rhyming verses. And ultimately, I still see products and um, that become these fully finished products. Uh, so the verses, I now realize they basically answered some of my deepest unanswerable life questions. And whenever I had a question that um, was either a curiosity or something that I was um, really despairing about, uh, I would get sort of the answer in these rhyming verses. And um, basically, they were my brain's way of turning chaos into order because they are perfectly metered and they rhyme. And because I felt such disorder and chaos in my head that I was certain would take me down, literally, uh, I use these verses as a way to take that disarray, take that chaos, take that darkness and transform it into something that felt like perfect and felt like it made sense of the nonsense. I love it so much. I got the book immediately and just remember diving in. And what's so special about it, and I know we talked about this, is that you can just open up any single page and start reading. You don't have to read it in a linear way, which I appreciate so much as someone who has a very short attention span. Yeah. Everybody does these days. Seriously. So talk a little bit about the book and what made you put it out into the world as opposed to just holding on to it for yourself. Yes, of course. And then I'll talk about even um, a new book that is coming out in May. Yes, uh, please. Yeah. So I would say, you know, the book Lifelines was really just my own bid for self-acceptance, exactly who, as who I was. And it put itself together because it basically was all my writings from the time I was little and all the uh, areas of my life that really comprised who I was. And it, it, when, I, when I decided I was going to come out with it, uh, I basically let the verses be my guide because I had written over 5,000 verses since I was a little child. And when I looked at those verses and tried to divide them into sort of categories of the issues they um, discussed, it was incredible that it was 10 different categories. Like exactly, there were basically 500 verses in each of 10 categories. And those were the areas that I had struggled with so much. But but what I realized, and maybe the most profound realization of my life was, again, probably my number one sort of flawed mindset was that I am darkness. I am only darkness because I, I had this darkness in me that I had never really touched on. But when I looked at the verses, and this was from my entire life and looked over the 10 categories, actually, crazily, five were kind of dark and five were really light. You know, I had verses about the beauty of nature and I had verses about curiosity and I had verses about liberation. And I was like, I had to ponder that for a long time because this perception that they were all darkness was actually not even true, even in my darkest days. Um, so those 
10 categories formed the volumes of my book, Lifelines. And basically there's prose where I talk about sort of what I was experiencing. And then I give a whole bunch of verses that really um, give form to those unconscious you know, questions and feelings that I wasn't able to verbalize in my life. Oh, so powerful. It's so cool that you like went and extracted and found these different categories and the light and the dark amongst all of them. And it just shows like how clearly you didn't know that you were going to be publishing this, let alone sharing it with the world, but how powerful it would be to be able to put them into these different sections and see how they all come together so perfectly to, to sort of identify you and mimic you as a person. Yeah. And, you know, one of the coolest things was I had been contacted by publishers for years to write a book, like a light, shiny book about being a mother and working simultaneously and stories about my toys. And, and I had always said, are you kidding? Because I knew that wasn't who I was. So when I decided to do this, I knew that I was not creating a bestseller. Like I was not creating a book that was going to touch a lot of people a little. And that was not my intent at all. My only intent for doing this was to one, show that I'm no longer ashamed of who I am and, and hopefully touch a few people like me a lot who are also maybe deeply introverted creatives who see things in their heads and feel stigmatized for being that way. So it really was only my intention to touch a few people a lot. You don't hear that goal very often in publishing. So it's really, I'm glad that you share that with, with my listeners. So what's this new book that's coming out? Yeah, so I think the great thing, if you continue to evolve in your life, you will not stay your story. You will continue to transcend your story. So the truth is, I am beyond that story now of, you know, the darkness into light. I am now... Um, you know, I'm in the light now. I mean, don't get me wrong. And this is where the next book comes from, right? I came out into the light, accepting the full spectrum of who I was. And then I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Because when I was repressing all the darkness, it was kind of easy, right? You feel a dark thing, you just repress it. You're having a bad day, you repress it. Like you don't, you just put on that face and it sort of makes life easy. But once I, kind of became familiar with um, all those emotions and I was able to label them and, and understand that when I'm triggered, I have to actually feel the emotion. Life became kind of hard because if I was having a bad day, I had to actually say, I'm having a bad day and allow myself to feel the emotions. And that was really unfamiliar, right? Most of us learn to repress and deny and disassociate from emotion. So uh, I had to develop practice. One day, you know, I went to my, my therapist and I was like, wait a second, I did five years of work. Like I'm in the light now. I accept myself. I'm having a really low day. Like, what am I supposed to do now? And she was la she laughed and she said, well, what do you mean? You're, you're going to be ebbing and flowing every single day, especially mm -hmm. you being a overly sensitive creative, like you're going to have really low days. And I was like, well, you didn't tell me that. Like, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> this, this, isn't, this isn't good. Um, I didn't sign up so, for this. 
Yeah. Like I, now I have to feel everything. This is, this is too hard. So I realized that I was at risk of two things. Once I accepted my full spectrum, I was at risk of either going too high and floating off into the boundless expanse of white creative space and never coming back. Because when I create, I actually go to a a heavenly place where it's so light and bright and beautiful that I don't ever want to come down. Um, And likewise, when I go low, I could literally be sucked into that abyss of despair and never come back. So I was like, what is going to be my tether on the here and now? And that tether became this flexible framework that I needed to create to live in earth school here. Um, And that became my practice, which I call practice makes purpose because um, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I never liked the phrase practice makes perfect because we are imperfect as humans. So I loved that little play on words, practice makes purpose. And uh, it is this really fun workbook on how to basically create your own daily deliberate practice to be your, your best self to what we call potentialize. Oh my God, I love this. And I cannot wait to get my hands on this book, Melissa. That is such a great reframe of removing the perfectionism because as you said, it so doesn't exist and it's so not something to aspire to be. So I think that there's so much value in people getting their hands on that book. Are you self-publishing it? I am just like last time. Yep. Love it. Self-publishing. And I wrote it with this amazing PhD on our team who has a PhD in learning sciences. So she took my practice and together we really sort of dissected it into these really fun bite-sized exercises and ways that, because I'm a pretty dense, heavy writer that uses a lot of flowery language, maybe too much. And we wanted to make this really digestible for for everyone. So smart. Can't wait to read it. So we have not touched upon, but I definitely want to, Lifelines, your business, which came after your book, Lifelines. Can you talk a little bit about how you chose this to be your newest project in the last few years? Yes, absolutely. So I just, again, followed that trail of breadcrumbs that Uh, are the sort of epiphanies of my life. And I think once I came out and shared the fact that I suffer from this condition, existential despair, uh, a lot of things changed. You know, I, I sort of went public and I realized that I wasn't alone. I realized that I was still here because I had found a way to channel my darkness into light and make meaning through creativity. And that there's so many others who aren't able to do that. And those are the people that I really want to help. I realized that we all need this practice from the time we're little. And if we don't have a daily deliberate practice for uh, emotional, mental, uh, um, emotional, mental, and spiritual resilience, you know, and physical resilience, we will falter at some point because we all have you know, things hit us out of the blue and we really need to um, to bolster that resilience. And I also realized that a lot of us are stuck in our heads and we have a really hard time 
getting out of that rigid, critical, analytical mind and getting into our, you know, sort of our hearts that only want what I say, my heart only wants creative liberation. Um, But I get knocked down a lot because my head tells me a lot of untrue things. So one of the the hardest things for me, which has become part of my practice, was what I called grounding. It was figuring out how to actually live my life in the here and now. And that was because, you know, the dark side of my brain, not the creative um, side, that, that rigid side is always saying, you know, why? Like, what's the meaning? Why are you doing this? Nothing's going to matter. And that, that side is still part of me. Um, it's been part of me my whole life. So for me to be able to be my best and, and feel contented, I have to ground myself. I have to get out of that part of my brain and come home to right now. And I had a hard time doing that. I tried everything. I tried meditation. I tried breath work. I tried yoga. And I had an incredibly difficult time um, cognitively talking myself out of overthinking. And one day when I was walking in nature, and most of us feel that nature is our muse, you know, nature does something to us physiologically that nothing else can. I was, it was a spring day a couple of years ago, and I was sort of smelling the flowers and feeling this beautiful warm breeze across my skin and hearing the, the early signs of spring, the birds. I realized with kind of awe that I had completely untouched from my thinking, which I had been really having a, a lot of negative thoughts that day and how easy it was. And I had this, this aha, which again, for me is the trail of breadcrumbs. I had this thought, if we're all born with these extraordinary senses that are our superpowers, why have we become so desensitized from them? Why as humans are we stuck in our brains, which are not a sense, and not connected to these, you know, superpowers? And that became uh, a huge part of, of lifelines. Basically, this this idea that if we could rediscover our senses and use them as a bridge between our rigid analytical minds and our our hearts that just want to be free, um, they could really help us to be living our lives in the present moment. So when someone lands on the Lifelines website or joins the community, what is the experience that they go through? It's changed quite a bit. It's going to be a little bit about my journey, a little bit about our practice, which is practice makes purpose, a little bit about community and and workshops we offer toward that end of becoming more self-aware and developing a practice, and a lot about our products, which are these tools that are, you know, they're not a means to an end in and of themselves. You can't use one of our products and suddenly become joyful. But if you use them as part of your daily grounding practice to be more, you know, in your life experiencing it right now, um, they will absolutely help you to be ultimately more calm and more joyful. Yeah, I appreciate you acknowledging that it's not necessarily going to solve all your problems. It's not a magic wand. 
but it is having more tools in your toolkit that you can be able to pull from when you need a certain level of, you know, experience, joy, happiness, whatever it may be. Uh, and it makes me think, is there any part of you that wishes that you shared your story sooner, knowing the business that you've built and the life that you're living now? That's an amazing question, but I believe we're not able to share our story until we're ready. So I get people telling me all the time, I'm in my 70s, I'm finally ready to share my story. Like, is it too late? Well, it only comes out when it's ready to come out. And if you share your story before you're ready, it will not be authentic, right? It will be, you know, laden with shame and you'll feel too much egocentricity about what others are thinking about it. And all I know is I wasn't ready until I shared it. And when I was ready, I felt nothing but complete liberation. I didn't care what anyone thought. I didn't care what people said, because I had a lot of people say negative things, right? Who are you to feel despair? You have everything. Uh, I got a lot of uh, negative um, you know, comments as well as positive comments. And the good news is I didn't care because I knew it was what I had to do. So I think I could regret that it didn't happen earlier, but the the dots of life experience were still being collected. And, you know, you have to collect enough dots of life experience to really lead you to say, I have to do this. There is no alternative. I love how you define ready. Because I think that people could say like, well, just start, you know, like it, it, it's like how I think about business when I work with clients who are starting new businesses and I'm like, just start, you got to start somewhere. And what does it mean to be ready and starting a new business? Sometimes that's challenging to determine, but I really, really love how you phrase that and the power of, you know, having the confidence that however people react you're okay with because you feel good enough in your own body, in your own thoughts, that this is the time to share. So that's super, super yeah. powerful. I mean, I wasn't confident in that for so many decades. I was trying to be something I wasn't. So I think if we start to have the courage to listen to our intuition, which actually is that voice of reason that guides us really effectively if we allow it, it told me so clearly. It was like, you have to do this now. And I, even for two years before, I, I was listening to podcasts like yours, um, listening to people's stories of coming out. And I couldn't even understand why I was doing it. I was like, why am I so obsessed with all these podcasts? And I now realize it was because I was trying to give myself the courage to do it myself. Um, and now that I've you know, now that I'm in the light, I don't have that, that I don't listen to them as much anymore. I mean, they're fun, but I don't have that fervent need because I already did it. Like, I don't need to bolster my confidence to do it. So what would you say to someone who is struggling with something or hiding or living in shame and doesn't feel ready to share? What tools can you provide them with to sort of give them the confidence to feel better about where they are and know that their time will come if it comes? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no substitute for making that journey inward. I always say the only way out is through. So, you know, here my whole life I was... I was trying to um, circumvent the whole 
shadow side of my personality. Any negative feeling, I just denied. Uh, and the truth is, it wasn't until I had the courage with the support of a trained professional to go through all those emotions and identify them and label them and feel them and realize they're not who I am. They were a function of, you know, experiences I went through as a child that made me feel, um, you know, uncomfortable with that. Uh, so I think I would I would tell them to do more work on themselves because once you've truly gone through all the reasons, you know, you're terrified, which are all the extrinsic motivators and the shame, and that's all stuff you can work through, through, you know, and if you have the luxury and the ability to work with someone, uh, there's nothing better. You know, people will say, at least in the generation before mine, like it's so indulgent to do therapy. And, and I believed that, by the way, until I was in my late 40s. But the truth is, Doing therapy is the greatest gift you can give to others because it will ultimately allow you to be an authentic person with others. So I think if you're if you're terrified and you're feeling not ready, you're probably you probably haven't done enough work to be ready. And I know that when I was finally ready, it wasn't a question, it was just when. Yeah, I agree with you completely on the therapy front. And I can't even imagine, I know it's true that it's considered indulgent because it is such a lifeline for so many people, uh, pun intended. And it yeah. just it's just really such a powerful tool. So as you know, Melissa, this podcast is all around invisible illness. What do you wish people knew about invisible illness? Well, I think you said it earlier so beautifully. You know, I think you have to know that when you see a person on the outside, that it's probably not even remotely who they are on the inside. So I think what it has shown me is to dig deeper, to not believe what you see, and to know that in every one of us is some sort of envelop visible illness. I mean, I'm friends with a lot of actresses and models and, you know, they are exactly the same as I am, you know, and I think you, you sort of believe that there's this um, perfect life and, and this perfection to the way people are. But the truth is people who have that probably even suffer more on the inside because they believe that they're only being liked because of that, because of something truly superficial. So I think no matter what we have in life and what we portray on the outside, we're all facing some sort of invisible illness on the inside, even if that invisible illness is just a lack of confidence or a lack of self-worth. Uh, we, we all are suffering with something. It's so true. It's interesting you bring up the models because I re read a few months ago, Emily Ratajkowski's book, My Body, and I sat there and underlying it, underlining the whole time, feeling so connected to her story. And here she is a model, something I obviously can't relate to, but the feelings that she had and the lack of confidence that she was experiencing, I resonated with so much and kept saying, I want to write the like cousin book to this story of someone living with an invisible illness that gets it on such a deep level. 
Exactly. I mean, I have spoken to so many actresses who said they it got to the point where they couldn't even like leave their homes because people expected them to be the the image they saw on the screen and always smiling and, you know, laughing. And um, it's a it's a prison. You know, we all have our own prisons that we need to escape. I mean, the door is always open, but we believe a lot of times we're in one. And I think everyone has has their own. And I think the more I've been able to realize that we are a shared humanity and we are all profoundly connected by exactly the same things, you know, we might look a little different on the outside, but the truth is we really are all the same. And the more I've been able to see that, the more I've been able to um, connect with everyone, no matter what they look like or what they do or how they sound, you know, they all have that depth of spirit beneath it. We turned video off because we were having technical issues, but I have had a smile on my face this entire conversation. I'm so grateful for you and absolutely love chatting with you. Where can people find more about you, learn about Lifelines, get your new book, your old book? (laughs) So people can contact me directly at Melissa at lifelines.com. I love to talk to anyone who is experiencing any sort of meeting crisis because I I get my deepest joy from connecting um, with individuals. And then anything about um, us, the company, uh, lifelines.com. Amazing. Thank you, Melissa. You are so welcome, Harper. This has been an incredible joy. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your support means the world to us. Visit madevisiblestories.com to check out our writing workshops, corporate offerings, and more information that can help you in navigating life with an invisible illness. Follow Made Visible Stories on Instagram. See you next week.